All right. How you doing? Is it summer yet? All right. I thought I'd sit here. I don't know if it's going to work, though. This won't go any lower. Oh, dear. <laughs> well, good morning. It is officially summer. It's been like that for a while, but in Cultivate, it's now officially summer. We have a new series, and the series is Selah, or Selah. You're going to have fun with my accent later, never mind. So, this is our family gathering, and it's uh, my privilege to speak this morning. So, we're going to start off on our official summer series. As you can see from the slide behind me, uh, we no longer have a park bench for Selah. We are now sitting on a seashore or a rock and we're looking out at the ocean. All right? You don't seem convinced. <laughs> so sit back and let's um, relax together. Really, this is an opportunity for us in the summer to pause and reflect and ponder on what it means to experience God, to get back to some basics, if you like. And we're going to start at the beginning this summer. We're going to start with Psalm 1, which is definitely at the beginning. It's been called in the past the preface psalm. Is it preface or preface, James? (laughs) I think we'll go with preface then. (laughs) <laughs> the, the preface psalm, because in some respects it introduces the whole book of psalms and its message. So, I like Psalm 1. I've uh, never studied it, though, until now, and I tell you, I like it more. So, I hope you're going to have a, a new appreciation of it, too. Sit back, don't fall off the rock. See, I'm sitting... I thought, that's what I'll do, I'll sit, because we're relaxing, this is summer, we're reflecting, I'm waiting for you to look like you're doing it. James suggested I should have a sofa up here. Um, I couldn't really imagine preaching from a sofa, so let's see how this works. Let me read uh, Psalm 1 to you. Let's uh, first of all pray. Lord... We ask that you speak your words of life to us this morning as we study your word in the name of Jesus. All right. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of of mockers or scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit at season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the law watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. I should have warned you at the beginning that I'm going to ask you questions about that. Were you listening? What's your first impressions as, you, uh, as we read those, that psalm together? Only six verses. What's your first impression? I'll have to read it again. Did it leave a picture in your head? Oh, James has his, his hand up there. Confident. That's a good word. All right. Does it leave a picture in your head? Yes? Walking with God is? In his counsel. Yes. All right. How about the tree? Did you like the tree? It's probably my favorite part. The tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season 
and whose leaf does not wither. Let's do. Let's think about the uh, the psalm in a kind of an overview first. Then we'll look at the kind of pictures in the psalm. Then we'll come back to to some of the the lessons and the uh, the important parts that we need to get to. In the first verse, he talks about the blessed man, and then he describes where that blessed man is not. And then he says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night, and he is like a tree planted by streams of water. So he's describing kind of two paths, right? You heard about the wicked, and you heard about the other path, the good path. What does it say about those paths? Do you remember? Maybe we go back to uh, the first slide, if you can do that for us, Justin. Oh, there you go. What does it say about the two paths as you ponder that verse? I see the font's a bit strange. It talks about two ways. And when I think about two ways in the Bible, my my first reaction is, well, it must be the good way and the evil way, right? I think good, evil. Don't see that. He talks about one way which is following a path which is God's path, and he talks about the other way which is a wicked way. So it's not a good and evil, it's a something else and evil. When, um, when we had the Selah series a couple of, uh, a couple of uh, years ago, um, I remember choosing Psalm 16, which is another one of my favorite psalms. And the last verse in Psalm 16 says, You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So I think we can quite easily name this psalm, Psalm 1, as the path of life. Because that's what he describes, the path of life and the other way. And he describes uh, this wonderful tree as the, the picture of that path. So let's look at the picture first, talk a bit about that, and then come back to what the path exactly looks like. So verse 3, it says, He is a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And then he says, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So is that picture forming in your mind? The picture of the tree, this one? Kind of like that? Is it different? (laughs) Perhaps it's different. (laughs) I love trees um, most of the time. I love trees except when they fall in your house or your car. I think that's what happens. Um, when, where I come from in England, um, trees don't need to be planted by streams of water. The uh, streams fall out of the sky. So, um, and on a fairly frequent basis. So really everything is green um, in England most of the time. Even in the hottest summers, if uh, vegetation can get roots down a foot or two, then uh, they don't have any shortage of water. But in Middle Eastern countries, where the psalmist was, almost certainly, climate is not like that. Uh, Vegetation follows the streams, and uh, the rest is kind of barren, right? So many of you know our history. What did John call us this morning? The Burroughs commune oh wow <laughs> the borough's commune right um, we haven't always lived here right at least some of us haven't always lived here um, we haven't always lived in England either in uh, 1993 we moved from England to Texas complete with four young children Naomi's hiding she was one year old. James was three. Yeah, I know. 
was a while ago. Um, life in Texas was very different to life in the south of England. Uh, we arrived on the 1st of June, 1993, and spent most of the summer indoors to avoid the sun. Right. It was a lot hotter than we were used to in Austin, Texas. Of the, um, of the many things of our old home that I missed when living in Texas, one was quite unexpected. It was trees. Nah, don't misunderstand me. There are trees in Texas. Um, but where we were, they weren't quite like the trees I grew up with. They were kind of short and scraggy. They were barely 30 feet tall. They looked actually like they'd prefer to be indoors, um, <laughs> hiding from the sun as well. Yeah. <laughs> so after living through a summer there, we went back to England to uh, see the extended family over Christmas. And I recall going with the kids to a local park. It was a park that I'd played at when I was a kid. So, you know, I'd been there many, many times. And in that park was a lime tree. Now, I know what you're thinking. No, it doesn't grow limes. You see, in real English, there's a lime tree and there's a lime tree, all right? And this is a lime tree, not the lime tree that grows limes. I think you might call it a linden tree, or maybe not. Anyway, it's an English lime. Let's call it an English lime, right? And this tree had parallel trunks running in a clump. And I remember as a kid, I used to run amongst the trunks and hide amongst the bushes down there. Um, and, you know, we used just to play around it. And I'm with my kids and I'm looking up at this lime tree. I don't know, I didn't measure it. At least 120 feet tall, maybe 150 feet tall. And I am amazed. It's just took my breath away. It was majestic. Um, I didn't realize how much I was missing trees till, uh, till I stood in front of that tree and thought, wow, now I remember Texas trees are this high. <laughs> this is a real tree. This is a majestic tree. Um, and, you know, I, before I'd missed it, I mean, I'd hardly noticed it before except for playing around in it. I think we're so good at failing to appreciate what is familiar, right? That's one of the good reasons to, to ponder, to say that is to try and appreciate those things that maybe we take for granted and we miss. So this tree, this tree as well was a shelter, a home. It had been a hiding place for me many years ago. Food for many creatures too. It was a blessing. And there it was. Just stands on its own, way up. I love the parable of the mustard seed. Do you remember that one? Kind of, kind of similar. Jesus said, he told them a parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds may come and perch in its branches. I like to think of a mature tree as kind of having broad shoulders, you know. Spreads its branches to provide shelter and stability, refuge, a resting place, a place, place of peace. Psalmist reminds us that this tree is well fed, does not wither, it's dependable, it's faithful, trustworthy, it bears fruit in season. And it's a food source. It's a source of great blessing to all around it. And it's a beautiful picture, isn't it? I want to be a tree. There's a parallel passage to Psalm 1. It's in, uh, do you know where it is? Uh-huh. 
It's in Jeremiah. Picture is very similar. It says this: "Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. Is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit." So again, we have a picture of a tree planted by water. The tree is strong. It's healthy, well-fed. It does not wither. It's always fruitful. Where else is a beautiful tree the centre of attention in the Bible? Any thoughts? The Garden of Eden? The cross? Any others? Revelation, yes. Yes, the beginning, the middle, and the end. Isn't that interesting? The beginning, the middle, and the end. In Genesis it says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put a man he had formed, and the Lord made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. right? And then in Revelation, the Lord, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. All right, now before we drift off to sleep, dreaming of trees, uh, there's another picture in this psalm. It's in verse 4. It says this, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff, chafe, chaff. Just checking. Chaff, unless you're in the military, is the, is the stuff around the grain of wheat that needs to be removed before you can eat the wheat. It's the kind of shuck, right? I don't know if that's a good word either. Um, when this psalm was written, people would throw the... I like the picture there. They would throw the grain into the air. And because chaff is so light, the wind would blow the chaff away and the wheat grain would fall in a pile close to the person who threw it. And uh, the, grain, the grain without the chaff would be collected to make bread. The writer says that wicked people are like chaff that is blown away. You can't shelter in chaff. Chaff. You can't sustain yourself with chaff. You either can't find it at all, or it gets in your eyes and clothes and you can't get rid of it. If any of you have ever worked harvesting, I have when I was young, it just goes everywhere. (laughs) But you almost can't see it. Chaff is essentially nothing. The waste to be removed from good things. The wind takes it away and it becomes part of nothingness. So are the wicked, according to the psalmist. So are the wicked. Now this challenges me because in worldly terms, some, how can I put it, obviously wicked people seem successful, right? They seem successful. They somehow amass money, influence. So it challenges me because it causes me to question my values and my measurement of success. If we think the wicked are successful, yet God says they are chaff, then the problem may be that we're completely confused about what success is. You think? 
We need God to put us right on that point and value what he values. Because whatever they're doing, it doesn't have value in God's eyes. Riches in this life don't last. You know, you you can't take them with you. We all know that. So if you're not the tree, then you are the chaff, drifting away to nothingness and nowhere. Something to ponder on, isn't it? All right, so we're going to look at these two paths in more detail. We'll spend most of our rest of our time on the path of life, though. Let's go back uh, to the beginning of the psalm. The psalm starts with, Blessed is the man, and then it goes on, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Happy is the man, or happy is the one, if you are reading the Bibles that I think we currently have in the pews, it probably says happy is the one. There you go. Talk about versions of the Bible perhaps in a minute. Um, blessed, fortunate, prosperous, favored by God, happy is the man. He is blessed. We are blessed. This is where we're meant to be. This is the path of life, right? I can honestly say in my life, I've been blessed. I've been richly blessed. I'm so blessed, I'm embarrassed about how blessed I am when I see the hardship of others. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So he tells us a few things, the psalmist, that this path is not. It's not the way of the wicked, or sinners, or scoffers, or mockers. But then there's one verse which tells us what the path is. He said, it says, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Stop. To be stop. Ah, I'm learning from John. You weren't here last week. If you were here last week, John, stop was what we had every verse. Stop. Why doesn't he say the path is being good, loving, caring, compassionate, fruitful, faithful, kind, gentle? Blessed is the man who chooses the good path to bear good fruit, right? Oh, he doesn't say that. Let's go back to the tree for a moment. Why is the tree doing so well? It's not the tree itself, is it? It's the stream, right? It's the stream. It's what it's feeding on and drinking from that makes it successful, this tree. So, The right path is not the good road. It's the road where the Lord is. Right? It's the road where the Lord is. It's where the food is good and healthy. This is really about the guide, not the road. It's important that we ponder on this because we get it wrong like every second day, I think. At least that's what I feel. Because you slip back. It's the sustenance, not the substance. Or you are what you eat. Does that help? Um, It's about where your inspiration is and your thoughts are. It's about the mentor to trace the path. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates. It's about feeding on him, letting him mold you and shape you and direct you and counsel you and fill you. He doesn't say, choose to be good. He says, choose to be God's. Belonging to God is what I mean, right? Choose to be those that belong to God. That's the choice. He says, choose me. Or choose not me. 
Why? Well, you know why. Because we are compromised beings. We cannot choose true good. Our hearts are evil. They are desperately corrupt. We need him. That is the gospel. We can't choose good, the perfect good. That's not in our nature. So we have to choose God, and he provides the way. Right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We all turned aside. We have all done wrong. We're all feeding fallen beings. We can't live up to our Father's standard of good. So our choice is God. Not good. And then we we expect him that he will bless us. And as we trust him, he will make us a blessing. But the path we choose is him. So what does it mean? How can we do this? How can how do we delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night? I can see some of you thinking, when would we sleep? Day and night. Is the psalmist telling us to spend all our waking and sleeping hours reading the Bible? Is the law the Bible? Mm, yes and no. Let's get some perspective. We don't know exactly when the psalm was written. Uh, but it's most likely 1,000 B.C. Also, There was no Bible, right? I'm not sure there's any paper, but there certainly was no Bible. Don't get me wrong, the Bible is very important, but it would be simplistic for us to simply say this is referring to the Bible. Um, 3,000 years later, we have a book. I bought a couple. I'll show them to you in a moment. Um, But the psalmist didn't have that. The psalmist refers to the, when he refers to the law, he's primarily pointing to the law of Moses, which was encapsulated in uh, the first five books of the Old Testament, Ten Commandments and all the accompanying instructions and regulations. And it's um, not a book. Well, it was stone tablets to start with, wasn't it? And then most likely scrolls. Um, You had scribes that would remake the scrolls. There were no printing presses. Um, It's not even clear how many of the Israelites could actually read. This was a song, a poem. So you you learnt it because you sang it or said it. So where are we with this instruction? How do we delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night? has to work differently to that, doesn't it? Well, even in those times with those scriptures, God had given many instructions in this area, and he wanted his people to be immersed in his word. So this is what Moses said to Israel directly after explaining to them the Ten Commandments. I'm sorry the references keep going weird on these slides. It's because we didn't load a font, I think, but we'll figure that out next time. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. On your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on, the door, on your door frames of your houses and your gates. So, learning God's law was mostly oral. You spoke it, you listened to it. You might write the symbols. That doesn't necessarily mean you were able to read the symbols. But Moses was clear, wasn't he? Learning God's law was what was expected. You will learn it and repeat it and remember it and you'll get it into your heads and you will be immersed in it. God, so God had told his people to be very disciplined about remembering his laws. Many Jews wore little boxes 
they called phylacteries. Didn't bring you a picture. Little box containing Hebrew texts, typically on vellum, which they would tie on their foreheads and on their arms, exactly as that verse says, literally. Right? Because they took that very seriously. Very seriously. To be immersed in God's word, to really know it and remember it. But that's Deuteronomy. So that's only the beginning of the story. And God's plan is working out and it's changing. um, And more is revealed to us. So hundreds of years later, I think after the psalm was written, um, we have this in Jeremiah. The days are coming, he says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. That uh, passage is also re-quoted in Hebrews by the writer there. And I believe he's speaking of the Holy Spirit in these verses. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit that really changes things for us. Jesus said, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. That's the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. And the sword of the spirit is? Ah, good. I thought I'd lost you for a moment. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God, it tells us in Ephesians. I think a good New Testament equivalent to delighting in the law of the Lord and meditating on it day and night is Paul's exhortation in Colossians. He says, Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Do you like that picture? There's a very similar passage in Ephesians. Um, Ephesians 5, where Paul uses a different phrase. He uses the phrase, be filled with the Spirit. But it's very, very similar. There's a very strong link. The Holy Spirit and the word of God are really two sides of the same coin for us at least since Pentecost. They're they're linked. They're intertwined. So there's a new way to be immersed in the word of God, the law of the Lord, and to delight and meditate on the law. Be full of all what God says and has for you. Sing it, read it, listen to it, listen for it, but let his spirit and his written word speak to you. When life distracts, as it does, and we find we need to find a way back to the guide and to his word. Worship music, study, prayer, memorizing, meditating. The counselor can lead us into the truth through the word. Jesus said to the devil, you remember, you man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. His words always need to be a part of us and our lives. The demands and opportunities of our lives also are very different to what was there at the time of the psalmist. You know, nowadays, you don't even have to read the Bible. You know that? Heresy. Someone's going to call me out for heresy. Listen. The Psalms. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. Can you hear that? No. Doesn't pick it up. All right. (laughs) And on 
his law he meditates day and night. Yay. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Soon you can listen to it. Don't even have to read anymore. Life is very different. You can have it emailed to you. You can have it just pop up on your phone. I don't know if you do that. Um, there are many more opportunities for us nowadays to find ways to get into God's Word and be immersed with it. And of course, again, we have the Holy Spirit when we choose to listen. And that's why it's important for us to take that time to ponder and to give space and to enable the Holy Spirit to speak words to us. And he can speak to us even when we're asleep, in dreams. He can embed the word of God, the law of God in our hearts and minds and conscience. So the Bible is very important to us, but the Holy Spirit as well brings those words to life. Meditate day and night, is what it said. And he may speak, the Holy Spirit may speak to us words which are from the Bible, direct quotations, or he may speak other words that are in line with or in agreement with what his written word says. Every word of God is precious. I remember when I... When I finished college, uh, seems a little while ago now, um, I got a new top, a, a new job, first job really, first real job in a town that I'd never been to before. It was about a hundred miles away from my parents' home and my friends. I'd been a Christian for three or four years at that point, so it was an exciting time, but it was pretty uncertain, right? I'd become a Christian. I was going out my own. I was going to be away from everybody. I didn't know what was around, what was going to happen. And I remember praying and I'm asking God, how will this all turn out? Not just my new job, but really my new life at that point and direction. Uh, maybe some of you are in that situation where things are uncertain and you want to know that. You ask God that. And The message I got back from God was quite clear as words in my head. It was, you'll be fine, just trust and obey. You'll be fine, just trust and obey. I don't claim to have necessarily kept my side of that bargain all the time. Um, But it's been more than fine, really. I've been richly blessed. And trust and obey is not a Bible verse exactly. It's a hymn, right? Some of you know it. Um, We were going to sing it this morning, but the tune is a bit slow. (laughs) Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Right? You remember that? Some of you do. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, and others of you remember it well. There you go. God speaks. And every word of God is precious, isn't it? And the path of life, I can tell you, does not change. For me, it's the same as it was then, as it is now. There's not a shortcut. There's no senior citizen's pass, at least if there is, it hasn't been given to me. Um, Listen to God's word. Trust and obey. Delight in him. That's the path. That's the path of life. So the question for us is, how do we fill ourselves with God's God's word and conversely, what do we allow ourselves to be filled with that is not God's word? And we should pause and reflect. This is a good time. What do we fill ourselves with? And are we filling ourselves with God's word, listening to his Holy Spirit? Is that rich in you? Is that your delight? You can turn to him. You can reevaluate. You can take a little time in the summer months 
and seek God in his word. And, you know, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at several psalms. Um, Maybe this is a good time for you to personally read the whole of the book of Psalms or listen to it. If you drive around, if you do things, if you sit and sunbathe, you can be listening, can't you? Don't even have to have words in front of you. When I was younger, I was encouraged to memorize scripture. I'm really grateful for that. It it helped me to get a better understanding of God's word, but most especially it has allowed the Holy Spirit to bring verses to my mind that direct and encourage me. And also allows me to meditate. Now when we say meditate, we, we just mean ponder over and over. That's all we're talking about. Just think it through, ponder it over. It allows me to do that when, I don't, when I'm not in a place that I can read or want to read. Um, when I'm walking, when, when I'm doing other things, it's, it's possible to do that. I used to memorize by writing verses on little credit card-sized cards. I was also a geek, can you tell? Um, and was? Who said that? The Burroughs commune is falling apart. <laughs> I had these little cards and I used to write on them and then I could keep them in my pocket and I could bring them out and I could recite them again and I'd learn them, right? But this was before we had cell phones and laptops and post-it notes and stuff like that. It was a while ago. Um, So if a verse of scripture has meaning for you, speaks to you in some way, consider committing it to memory so you always have it by your side. Or at least make a note of it. Put it on your desktop. Post it on the fridge. Our fridge doesn't even take magnets anymore. How does that happen? Um, immerse yourself in the word of God any way that you can. Just have it around you. Life has changed, as we said. So if you really want to memorize scripture, guess what? There's an app for that. There is, really. It's called Bible Minded, and it's by the American Bible Society. Be sure you choose the one by the American Bible Society, because there are other apps with the same name. It helps you memorize scripture by bringing them up over and over, by giving you lists of things that will be good to learn and so on. A a word of caution, set the version that you normally read first. Because the Bible, if you don't stick to the same Bible version, you're going to get in great fun when you try and memorize scripture because the words change slightly and it becomes very confusing. If you need some help, you can uh, talk to me. I'll I'll be happy to help to to do that. Any of you get confused about the various versions of the Bible, by the way? I was confused this week. See, I carry with me this, which I got here, right? I carry it with me so that if I need to know the page number of a verse, I can find it, right? This Bible is now not the same as the ones you have in front of you, it turns out. I don't think it is. I think this is an NIV 84, and you have an NIV new in front of you. Is that confusing? (laughs) So you read the verses that I've got up this morning, which I took for the NIV 84 mostly, and you're thinking, no, it doesn't say quite that. Oh, well. Um, So... There's the NIV, 84, which I happen to like. There's the NIV, which is a new one, which has some wording changes. A lot of it is about gender neutrality in the the new uh, version. Then there's the ESV, which I I like, the English Standard Version. I use that as much as I can now, Um, which has a, I don't know, I'd say a slightly older reading age, but 
it's good. Um, then there are various others, paraphrases. I brought one that is particularly fun and has seen some use in our house, the Street Bible. Um, you can't call this a translation. Um, a paraphrase might be slightly kind, but it does illuminate sometimes. It's written in kind of street language of, well, it's about 10 or 15 years old now, so it's not exactly current. Here's, um, here's Psalm 1, verses 2 and 3, hip-hop style. I know, I know you're thinking, how is Pete going to do hip-hop? I can't. And I have the wrong accent, right? It's just not going to work. He's laughing because he knows the good book. God's website gets a good long look. He's growing because he's evergreen by the picture postcard mountain stream. He may lean, oh yay, he may lean, but the wind won't make him crack. The wind won't make him crack. If you've got any teenagers, try it. It might work. <laughs> you do recognize it, right? It's just put into different language. <clears throat> if you want to talk more about Bible versions, then uh, do, uh, do come talk to me or uh, there are several others around here can help you with that. But what is important is to be immersed in God's word, right? That is what is important. That's where we are this morning. All right, just in closing, there's uh, one other path. The other path. You don't really need me to teach you about this path. The other path, the counsel of the wicked, the way of sinners, the seat of scoffers, following the advice and example of the wicked. Jeremiah uses the phrases trusting in man, making flesh his strength, turning away from the Lord. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord, he says. It includes breaking God's commandments, following the way of the world, where it conflicts with the way of God. And talks about scoffing too, mocking, scoffing. That's a tricky word. Um, scoffing, making fun of despising, belittling, deriding, rejecting. I, um, I was reading a bit about scoffers because I wonder if we do that. For me, a, a scoffer is... He's, he's the ultimate false guide, in a way. He... He doesn't have a way. His existence is to scoff at the way. He is a naysayer. He's not telling you where to go. He's just telling you where you're going is bad or silly. It's not necessarily bad. It's, he's belittling it. He's deriding it. So he hides the path. A scoffer hides the path in an ever-changing maze of disbelief and derision. Perhaps you know a scoffer or you've been guilty of that yourself. And then the last phrase of the psalm is very sobering. It says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So I guess we shouldn't be surprised at that with the analogy of the chaff that we read about, but it's a very serious consequence. It's final. You don't come back from that. If your path is not the path of life under the grace and guidance that God brings, then your path is leading off a cliff and you need to turn around. Perish. So I don't want to dwell on the negative. But perish is a very tough word, right? What's the most famous verse in the Bible? 
Do I hear John 3.16? So you probably know it even though you've not memorized it intentionally, right? Or maybe you will know it in different versions. We'll work through this one. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, right? Shall not perish but have eternal life. There's another one you might uh, want to remember. It's uh, John 5, 24. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. He has. It's happened. You see how important the word of God is there. Hears my word and believes him who sent me. Hear it. Cross over from death to life. And one more for you. This is from John 10, 27. Now a favorite of mine. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. They shall never perish. And they listen, right? They listen to God's voice. They are immersed in his word. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So don't let your life drift as nothing as the chaff. It's not about being good. It's about following the right mentor. It's about following God, filling yourself with his word and listening to him. Trust and obey that is the path of life. I'm with Peter, the uh, disciple Peter, um, Jesus' disciple, when uh, he, life is getting tough around Jesus, and Jesus asked him, uh, if, or asked all the disciples if they would also go away and leave him. And Peter said, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, speak your words of life. So whatever your plans this summer, include some time to reflect, to listen, to immerse yourself in God's word and his spirit. Let's pray. Lord, Speak your words of life to us. Guide us on that path, that path of life, and make us strong in you. Forgive us for not filling our minds with your word. Forgive us for filling our minds with things that are not healthy. Give us grace, Lord, and strength to reach out, to make time to reflect, to listen, and to respond to you in these uh, weeks to come. Lord, we choose you. We delight in your word. We seek to listen, to trust, and to obey. Fill us with your spirit, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.